All right, well, let's go ahead and take our Bible and turn to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. And uh, we're taking a little one-week break from our series in the book of James. Uh, Being that it's Old Fashioned Sunday, I wanted to do kind of a themed message for this day. And we're going to be looking at the message entitled, Out with the Old, In with the New. And uh, we're going to be talking about the importance of getting rid of the old in our life and replacing it with the new in our lives. And uh, you might, for those who are married, be looking at your spouse going, ooh, no, 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 that's, I'm not talking about marriage at all here, okay? Um, so my wife's going, oh, really? Um, you're the older one in the relationship, so... No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about uh, quite a different um, target here. So Colossians chapter number three, um, if you would, if you're able to uh, stand for the reading of God's word, Colossians chapter number three, and uh, we're going to go ahead and read verses one through 14. We're not going to, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each verse here, but um, I do want to, I, I do want to read through this passage to give us a little context of what we're going to be talking about this, this morning. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 14, the Word of God says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him, in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And I like verse 14 that kind of sums it all up here. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for your word. And thank you for this passage that we just read. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to ultimately change our lives, that we would uh, get rid of the thing, the old man and put on the new man. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what that means today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So on this old-fashioned Sunday, again, I would like to speak to you about the importance of getting rid of the old and replacing it with the new in our lives. And 
And I was thinking about this in our own uh, lives, something that took place this past year um, that we decided to do. Um, we decided to get rid of the carpet, the old carpet that was in uh, Faith's room and in Seth's room. And we moved into our house back in 2018. And at that point, uh, the carpet was, I don't know, 13 years old or something like that. And so now it's uh, older. It was older. And uh, it was, you know, when you remove carpet, you kind of look underneath it. You're like, oh, my, I did not realize all the stuff that goes underneath all that carpet, all the dirt, all the dust, all the, I don't even want to know what was in there. Um, so we decided to do that, and um, so we, we went to Home Depot, and we got the, the flooring that we wanted to replace the carpet with, so we got all of that, and, and uh, we, we picked out the color that we wanted, and a lot of it had to do with the price that they, <laughs> you know, we wanted to get the El Cheapo version, because it's not going in our room, it's going in the kids' room, so we can kind of cut costs there, and um, so we wanted to get, do it as inexpensive as we could, but we got we got some new flooring, and then we we come home, and it's time to get that carpet out. And I am telling you, it was disgusting. I mean, you you look in the bottom, and there's all these big stains, you know, and it's like, what was that? I don't even want to know what that was. And then you're having to take off the padding and and sweep all the dust and the dirt and all of that. We did all that, and now I stand here today having done two rooms. Now, I didn't do it all by myself. Uh, my uh, boys helped a little bit, and uh, my father-in-law came and helped one day as well, and I'm thankful that it's all done. And, and so we got, we got rid of the old, and we replaced it with the new, and it's, it's a way better scenario. Um, now, obviously, this, this, is, this isn't across the board. There's some things in our lives that are uh, maybe old that we don't want to get rid of, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the afternoon service. But but when it comes to the old nature that we had before we were Christians, that's what Paul is referring to in this passage, and that's what we need to uh, put off and to get rid of and uh, add and put on the new man. And that's the emphasis of this passage. Now, before we can get to that point, though, where we're uh, taking off the old man and putting on the new man, there's something first that needs to take place. So I want to start with that one this morning. And so, first of all, I want us to notice that we need to receive new life in Christ. We need to receive new life. Before we can ever worry about doing, uh, getting rid of the old life and, and, and adding in the new life, we, we need to first make sure that we have received new life in Christ. Now, just a reminder on the, uh, the context of this passage. So, Paul in the book of Colossians, is writing to a church family, a group of saved believers, those who've been born again, those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, those who uh, have received new life. And so he, he, he's explaining what they now need to do. But before we get to that point, we need to make sure that we have received new life. Um, in verse number, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 2, let me, let me just read a couple of thoughts here. So verse 1, as you're turning there, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. And then he says in verse number 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. So he says, uh, look, I'm writing to you who are believers, who are saints, who have received new life. I like what J. Vernon McGee uh, once said about this. He said, all of mankind is divided between the saints 
and the ain'ts. If you ain't in Christ, then you are an ain't. And if you are in Christ, then you're a saint. And uh, he had a way of putting things uh, back in the day. Um, and it fits, would fit really well here in Oklahoma, actually. Uh, but it's so true. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. And you either have received new life or you haven't. And, and, and I want to encourage you, if you have not received new life, to take that very first step of being born again and coming to Jesus Christ for eternal life. See, what I'm explaining in this message today is not that we need to turn over a new leaf. No, instead, we need new life, and that life can only be found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who said to Thomas in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus was saying, look, you need new life, and that life can only be found in a relationship with me. Uh, John chapter number 6, right after Jesus performed the wonderful miracle of, of turning the, uh, or feeding the 5,000 with just a couple loaves and a few fishes, right? He, he did that, and, and, and then he later says to them, I am the bread of life. One day I'm going to be broken, but, but, but I'm going to be able to uh, satisfy the hunger and to give new life. He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus, in John chapter 3 and verse number 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting, and what's the next word? Life. In 1 John chapter number 5, the apostle John says this, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the life, or hath the Son, hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So those who have the Son of God and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation have eternal life. If you turn back to John chapter number 1, hold your place here in Colossians. We'll be right back here in a second. But we can't, we, can't get, we can't get to point number two until we get through point number one. And point number one is receive new life. Make sure that you have a relationship with God. Make sure that you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse number 12. Jesus, or here, here the Apostle John says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So how do we become a child of God? How do we how do we have this new life? How do we receive Jesus Christ? How do we start this relationship? Well, later in John 3, uh, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, it was Jesus who said, you must be born again, or you cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, but you got to receive him. How do we do that? Even to them that believe on his name. So going back to the book of Colossians, it's, it's not something we have to do. It's not, it's not some type of, well, let me give you a list of religious duties. And once you do all of that, then, then, you, can be, uh, then you can receive new life. You need to be a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church in order. No, 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 no. There is no works that we can do in order to reach heaven. There's no, there's no amount of good works that we can do to offset our sin. Absolutely not. In fact, even our righteousness, according to the book of Isaiah, are as filthy rags. 
So, so what do we do then? We can't say, be saved by good works. It's not like I can do more and, and, and give more and, and, and work harder. No, that's not what it's about. It's about placing your faith in what Jesus already did for us. See, salvation is not spelled D-O, D-O it's spelled D-O-N-E. It's already been done. See, when Jesus died on the cross, that, that's what he was doing. He was paying the price for my salvation and for yours. He was shedding his, his blood, his pure, sinless blood on the cross so that all of us could receive this new life, this eternal life. And if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can I recommend October 29th, 2023, on Old Fashioned Sunday, that you come to Jesus and, and believe on Him for your salvation, to repent of your sin, and to believe on Jesus Christ that He is the perfect, sinless Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and who lives forevermore. And when you place your faith in Him like that, God promises now then to give you eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So if we're going to out with the old and with the new, uh, first of all, we need to make sure that we're in Christ. Because the understanding, the, the, the context of Colossians chapter number 3 is that you have been born again. In, in, in verse number 1, he says of chap, in chapter 3, if ye then be risen with Christ. Since you've been born again, since you are in Christ, you have been risen with Christ. Now we need to do some things. Now we have some, uh, some instruction. But first, we need to make sure we're in Christ. So if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day you need to take care of that. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not someday down the road, because boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Our life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. We're not to put this off. This is something we are to take care of right away. I remember when I was 12 years old, it was Christmas. I talked about Christmas music a little bit ago. So I guess I'm feeling a little Christmassy today. It was Christmas night after all the gifts had been opened. And everybody was kind of in their own little part of the house. And I was there in the dining room table. And I was going through a book that uh, my, my church was having me go through. And it asked me in that book to write the date that I got saved, that I was born again, that I, the, the date that I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, the date I became a Christian, the date I received new life. I remember looking at that going, man, I've heard about it. I've been in church all my life. And I've, I don't know how many times heard about what, what, I, what, it, what it means to place my faith in Christ, but... I don't know that I've ever done that. I don't know that I've ever been saved. And I remember looking at that and thinking, man, I could make that decision right here, right now, but if I do, then everybody's going to come talk to me and say, hey, I thought you were already a Christian. What gives? But then I thought, you know what? Who cares if they talk to me? This is the most important decision I'll ever make in my entire life. I need to take care of this. And so right there, at 806 East Lansford Street in Lancaster, California, on Christmas night in 1988, when I was 12 years old, I bowed my head and I called upon Jesus to save me. And that was the day that I received new life. 
I didn't turn over a new leaf. I didn't just try harder. No, I placed my faith in the one who already did it all. What about you? Do you have a testimony like that? Now, you may not remember the exact day. You may not even remember the exact address. But do you remember a time, a moment in your life when you received new life by being born again and coming to Jesus? If not, can I recommend 424 East Main Street in Moore, Oklahoma? On October 29th, 2023, to make the greatest decision of your life. Receive new life, because the rest of the message will not apply unless you've received new life. So first step, out with the old and with the new. First, we need to receive new life. Then secondly, once we are in Christ, once we've been risen with Christ, now number two, we need to remove the deeds of the old man. We need to remove the deeds of the old man. He says in verse number five, he says, mortify therefore. And every time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you always have to ask why it's therefore. So you go back and you see the fact that, hey, we've been risen with Christ. We, Christ is, is our life in verse number four. And, and we, are, uh, we are hid with Christ in God. And, and all these things, because of all of that, because of our standing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now need to remove the deeds of the old man. Now, let me ask this question. Okay, we've been risen with Christ. That's what verse 1 says. Does anybody remember what happened to Jesus after he rose from the grave? When, when he comes out of that grave, what, what, you know, we, we talk about we're thank, we thank God for the empty tomb. But actually, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a detail here I want you to see very quickly. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're just going to take a super fast field trip over here. So I want, to, I want you to see this because this applies to us. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taketh, taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is a reference to John here. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not whether they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple, John, did outrun Peter. He wanted to put that detail in here. It's like not to brag, but just to let everybody know for all of eternity who was the faster runner here. Uh, he did outrun Peter and, and came first to the sepulcher. And verse number five, he's stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought that the tomb was empty. But here the linen clothes were lying there. See, the, the clothes that were still lying there were grave clothes that he didn't, not, he didn't need any longer. Why? Because he's living. He's not in the grave anymore, so he doesn't need those grave clothes. He, he rose from the grave. Those are not needed any longer. So guess what? Going back to Colossians chapter number 3. Uh, people who are saved, people who are born again, people who, are, who have received new life have also have the standing of being risen with Christ. Since we're risen with Christ, we, like Jesus, don't need the grave clothes any longer because Jesus has set us free from that. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we've been made alive. Now we've been quickened and made alive in Christ. So we don't need those grave clothes any longer. 
Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Yeah, we, we, we don't need to have any more grave clothes anymore because we are, we are risen with Christ. Just as Jesus had no longer need of those linen cloths that were used to wrap his body because they thought he was going to be dead for a long time, not realizing that it was just going to be a, a quick three-day uh, little stint in the grave before he comes bursting out with glory and triumph. Okay, so what are we to put off then? We're, we're to put off our grave clothes. What does that look like? Back in Colossians chapter number three, verse number five, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he tells us some things to kill, to mortify. To, here he goes and starts listing something fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So in verse five, we're called to mortify sensual sins. Uh, these, these ones that uh, really are, are physical, um, the sensual, I want to be careful because there are children here this morning, but, so I want to be uh, delicate with this, but uh, we, we, we here in American culture have basically promoted all of the things we're called to mortify here, fornication. I mean, you can't watch the average TV program, which is interesting why they call it a program, right? Because guess who they're programming? They're programming all of us who sit there and watch it and are entertained by it. Well, it ends up programming us to accept everything they're trying to push down our throats. But they're, they're, they're highlighting and promoting fornication. They're, they're, the uncleanness is everywhere. Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and, and we won't take a time to go and explain all of these. Uh, covetousness, of course, um, which is, by the way, the last commandment, which kind of sums up a lot of the, uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, thou shalt not covet. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are some things we are to kill and to put off and to remove from our life. So in other words, Christians, uh, those of us who are in Christ, we need to not let those things be named once among us we find in a different passage. We're called to mortify those things. Secondly, we're to put off the sins of the mind. And we go down to verse number 10. I'm sorry, verse number, uh, where am I at here? Verse number eight, I'm sorry. We're to put off the sins of the mind. Verse number eight, but now also, ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, uh, let, let's talk about these for just a brief second. Anger. He tells us to put this off. Now, the word anger is used, is translated from the same Greek word as wrath. Um, it, it's, it's a more habitual. This is the person who's kind of known as an angry person who always flies off the handle over the littlest thing. Now, they don't get their order right at the fast food place. They go to the counter and they throw an absolute fit. Um, I've heard it said many times that uh, those who work in the restaurant industry really don't look forward to Sundays because of all the church people that come 
and treat everybody really poorly. Um, see, this is the person who is constantly getting angry and makes it hard for other people to live or work with. These people lash out at everyone who offends them and are easily offended. It doesn't take much. Everybody has to walk on eggshells around them so they don't get upset. Do you know anyone like that? Or does that describe you? If that's the case, we're to put that off. We're to remove that from our lives. Why? Because we're in Christ. We no longer need these grave clothes any longer. And we're to put this off because Benjamin Franklin once said, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. I read about two men who were driving in Southern California, and that's where I spent a lot of my life. But two men driving in Southern California, they got into a battle of road rage after one cut the other off in a parking lot. The hot-headed men sped out of the parking lot in a fit of anger, chasing, driving recklessly, dodging and weaving in and out of traffic. They endangered a lot of lives before one finally forced the other to careen out of control. The driver frantically tried to regain control, but in the process, an innocent little girl on a nearby sidewalk was tragically killed. A young life was taken simply because two men became recklessly angry at each other. Let me say what Benjamin Franklin once said again. I'll repeat it. Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. There's been moments in my life where I've had an angry outburst in my home. Not one time was I proud of that. It led to tremendous shame. Well, here, the Apostle Paul's trying to let us know that, hey, those of us who've received new life, well, now we need to discard and remove the grave clothes because, hey, we're risen with Christ. We don't need those anymore. Angry, ang- anger is one of them. What else? Wrath. This is that sudden burst of anger. It kind of goes a little bit along with it. A violent temper. Explosion. Proverbs 15, 18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 19, 19, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. Proverbs 14, 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Wrath. Malice is another one he mentions in verse number eight. Anger, wrath, malice. This is ill will towards someone else. A desire to injure. A hatred for them. A desire for something bad to happen to somebody. And a rejoicing if it does. Someone with malice is also sad when the person they don't really care for is successful or blessed. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine this week, and he was saying, you know, one of the things I struggle with is that when, when some, someone who does something wrong kind of gets away with it. He says, it just really kind of irks him. And, and, and I said, hey, I get it. I understand um, I want justice to be served as well. And uh, I know that there's been some things even happened this week that, you know, we want justice to be done. But listen, aren't you glad that when you were the one who was the guilty party with God, he didn't strike you dead the first time? Aren't you thankful that he was patient and merciful towards you? 
Maybe God's given them another chance. Maybe God's showing him some mercy to give him another opportunity to repent. And, and he's, he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, see I, I realize that sometimes we can get like, man, they did me wrong. They need to pay. Well, leave it with the Lord. Vengeance belongeth to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you and me. Because when you and I take matters into our hands and we become God's vigilantes, um, we end up hurting ourselves. We might injure them, but we also end up hurting ourselves. Leave it with the Lord. King Saul let this happen to him. When David's uh, fame kind of started to explode, King Saul let that cause great jealousy in his life, and he wanted David eradicated. And he took matters into his own hand and tried to take care of it himself and almost succeeded on a couple of occasions other than the fact that God was protecting him. Malice. If you have malice towards somebody, remove the deeds of the old man, friend. Hey, that's a grave cloth, uh, an article of grave clothing that you no longer need to wear because you're risen with him. Third, we're to put off also the sins of the mouth. In verse number eight, he says, "Now all these, but but now you also put off all these: anger, wrath, malice, and now comes these sins of the mouth: blasphemy, filthy communication, lying." Let, let's talk about them very quickly here. Blasphemy. This is slander, detraction, speech injurious to another's good name. This refers both to both blasphemy against man and against God. Obviously, taking God's holy and precious name in vain would be considered blasphemy. So really, as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, remember what Paul said? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, I used to take God's name in vain, but now that I'm risen with Christ, now that I've received new life, I no longer need to do that anymore. So if you are guilty of saying, oh my God, when you're not in a moment of prayer, worship to the Lord. That is an article of grave clothing you need to discard. And, and I, would, I would encourage you to even remove some of the, uh, the replacement words. Oh my gosh. Golly gee. All so close. You're getting right up to the edge. Why, why not just say, you know, I'm going to remove some of those things because I no longer need to wear them. I, I'm supposed to put off blasphemy. And if we've been wearing it, let's remove it. And then he says filthy communication or filthy talk. This is foul speaking. This is dirty jokes, coarse speech, cursing, profanity, obscenities. Simon, guilt, Simon Peter was guilty of this. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 69, um, it says this, Now Peter sat with, without in the palace. This is right before Jesus was crucified, and Peter's about to deny the Lord three times. And here this damsel came to him, saying, Thou, was with, thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. He denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And he was gone out into the porch. Another maid saw him and said unto them that were, were, were there, Well, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And he, again, denied with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. After the while came into him that stood by and said to, to Peter, Surely thou art 
also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. It's kind of like, you know, somebody here visiting from, uh, from Boston. And they left their cockies and their cockies. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and it's like, yeah, you're not from around here. You're, you're obviously not an Okie. Okay? Even if they're like, yeah, well, I... Uh, and they start saying the word sweet tea and thinking that's going to fix it. No. See, that's what, that's, what, that's what Peter here tried. Uh, it was obvious by his speech that he was not, his dialect and his accent, that he was not from around there, that he had actually been one of the Lord's disciples. Well, then verse 74 says this, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cop threw. So he's like, I know what'll do it. I'll start speaking like a sailor, because after all, I am a fisherman. So he starts using language that ought not to be said for those who are the Lord's people. If you are talking with that type of language, my friend, and you are a believer, that is an article of grave clothing that you absolutely need to get rid of. There's no use for that. We're to put that off. Filthy communication out of your mouth. And then uh, verse number 9 talks about lying. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. You know what the Bible says about the devil? The devil is the father of lies. Okay, so if he's the father of lies, and the Lord Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which one do you want to emulate? The father of lies or the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Which one? When we're constantly lying with our lips, you're identifying more with the devil than you are with the Savior. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Proverbs 12, 12, 22, lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs 6, 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, and the second one mentioned is a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and it goes on. Abraham Lincoln said, no man has a good enough memory to make a successful liar. That's true. Because when you start lying, you're going to have to try to keep backing up that lie. So you might as well just remove it, discard it, put it off. And that's what we're called to do. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. So first, we're to receive new life in Christ. Secondly, we're to remove the deeds of the old man. But then thirdly, we are to put on the deeds of the new man. We're to replace with the deeds of the new man. So here, the Lord's not just telling us to stop doing everything. He's, he's, it's a replacement principle. Okay, so he says, remove. Okay, so you remove. I'm removing this old jacket. Whoa. Now he says, don't just remove it. Now I want you to add to it. Now I want you to replace it with the deeds of the new man. So I have another coat here, and it's a new one. It's a lot newer than that other one that I have. And the other one that I have doesn't fit as well as it did when I first got it. 
I think there's a shrinking aspect of being in my closet for too long. Pretty sure that's what it is. We're to replace it with the deeds of a new man. So here the... Now now think about this for a quick second. Okay, now when, when, when Jesus came out of that tomb as the resurrected Savior, the linen clothes were no longer there. So did that mean that he was walking around without any clothes? No. We know that he had clothes on. He, he actually looked like he was a gardener. Remember when Mary came and saw him? He, she's supposing him to be the gardener? She wouldn't have said that if he didn't have any clothes on. No, he had clothes on. Now, where did he get his clothes? I don't know where he got his clothes, but he had clothes on. And, and see, after the resurrection, no, we no longer need the grave clothes. Now we put on the grace clothes. Now we put on and replace it with the right type of clothes. All right, well, let's look at these grace clothes very quickly this morning. He mentions them in verse number 12. He says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. And verse 14, above all these things, put on charity. Let me... Let me go through these very quickly. First, he says to put on mercy. Put on bowels of mercy. This is a heart of compassion towards others. Quite a difference from the malice that we learned about a moment ago in verse number 8. And anger, mercy is the opposite. A heart of compassion towards others. Having a constant caring attitude towards others. This is the heart that really understands that the other person is just a person with feelings like you have. Jude says, and some having compassion, making a difference. Aren't you glad that Jesus had compassion on you? When he saw the multitudes, it says, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He didn't look at them and say, let me just zap them all right now. He had compassion. Let's have a little more compassion. Now, Now, I realize that we need to hold people accountable and all the rest, but... But, but we need to put on mercy. We need to put this on. This is, this is part of the new grace clothes that we're supposed to be wearing now that we're risen with Christ. Put on mercy. Secondly, put on kindness. Put on kindness. Verse number, um, verse number 12, again. Uh, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another. Well, that... That just applies to people who are nice to me, right? That just applies to people who are kind back to me. Then I'll be kind back to them. That's how it works. No, be kind even to the people who aren't as kind to you. Why are we to put on kindness? Well, because God first showed kindness to us. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. We were disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. It's not like God showed us kindness when we were kind back to Him. No, that, this, is, this is the condition we were in. And then it goes on to say, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. So when we wait for people to be kind to us, in order for us to be kind to them, that's not the way it works. 
The way it worked for us when God showed kindness is when we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, that's when he showed his kindness. So we're to put on kindness. Yeah, when people were disobedient, hateful, do we really want to treat people with them with kindness? No, but that's exactly how the Lord treated us in our sinful condition. And I'm not saying with this that we need to allow people to walk all over us and abuse us. But instead of treating people like they deserve, the encouragement here is to put on kindness. Put on kindness. Thirdly, put on humility. Put on humility. Humbleness of mind, he says, in verse number 12. See, in Paul's day, the worldly culture of that day did not admire humility. They thought it was weakness. They thought you have to kind of push yourself to the front. And those are the respected people. No, those who are humble get promoted. We see that we saw that even this week and as the as the speaker of the house. I believe that that is an illustration of what we see here of humility being exalted because of the Lord. Uh, well, no, I got to push my way to the front. I've got to be on that ballot. I've got to be the one. No, Mr. Johnson was humble and as a result he was elected and voted to be the new speaker of the house. See, esteeming others better than yourself, that's what humility means. Taking, back, taking the back seat. Thinking, this is thinking of others before you think of yourself. And of course, the Lord Jesus, again, is our example in this. He put on humility. This is put on meekness next. Meekness. Verse 12, it says, uh, meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. It's gentleness. It gives the idea of a wild horse that has been tamed. Um, the one picture I get in my mind is a dad, a big, burly guy like myself. Okay, well, you have to stretch your imagination on that one. I just talked about lying, and here I am talking about me being big, burly. But a father having a tea party with his little daughter. And I've had a few of those in my day. And yes, my pinky goes out when I'm drinking. Now... It takes some meekness to get down and sit in that little chair and, and, and pretend to eat all the plastic food that she's serving and all those things. It takes some meekness to do that. That's something we're to put on as believers. Meekness has also, has, has also been defined as being uh, weak to defend one's own opinions, but strong to defend God and His Word. Weak to promote self, but strong to promote God and His Word. Weak toward fulfilling one's own will, but strong towards doing the will of God. Weak for personal views, but strong for God's truth. Truly humble and meek man is hard to find, yet God delights to honor such selfish, selfless people. I'll give you a quick uh, story here about Book Booker T. Washington. He was the renowned black educator and was an outstanding example of meekness. Shortly after he took over the presidency of Tuskegee, um, Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town where he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the, knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if, if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Well, because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace. A little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. Well, the next morning, the embarrassed woman went to 
Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize who, who you were. I, please forgive me. And he said, oh, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight, a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Long, long afterwards, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Institute. And true meekness, while Mr. Washington was a great example, ultimately, of course, Christ is the perfect example. He was submissive, never resisting or disputing the will of God. His absolute trust in the Father enabled him to show compassion, courage, and self-sacrifice, even in the most hostile situation. He proved it in his arrival to earth. He came in the form of a little baby in Bethlehem's manger. He proved it when he submitted to his parents there in Jerusalem and as he dealt with people, the woman at the well, the woman taken in adultery. Then as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, how did he enter? This big entourage, uh, this big celebration? uh, No. Um, He came sitting upon a donkey. So instead of making his entrance with great glory and power, which he could have and deserved to do, after all, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the great God of heaven. He is a line of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who is high and lifted up. Instead, he came in a spirit of meekness and humility. So as believers, that's the type of clothing we are to wear. He also says, just to, let, me, let me cover these really quick, these last ones really fast. Put on long-suffering. This is a long temper. Having a long fuse. You know, I don't know about you. I was a little bit of a pyro maniac when I was a kid. Shouldn't tell the kids this. But I did play with fire, and fireworks were fun to play with when I was a kid. Um, You light those little firecrackers, and, you know, you tie them all together. I don't know if anybody else did that. to try to get a bigger bang out of it. Well, I did that. And, you know, you don't have much time after you light that thing to get away from that. Um, Look, when it comes to our outburst of temper, how long is our fuse? Do we have this really short fuse that, boy, one little thing is said, one little wrong look, one little, you didn't do what I expected, an explosion happens. Or is there a long fuse? See, we're to be we're to put on long suffering, long suffering. Charity suffereth long. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, put on long suffering, put on forbearance, forbearance, verse number 13, forbearing one another. This is bear with me. We need to be to bear with one another's idiosyncrasies, their quirks, their personalities, to be patient with them, forbear and put up with it. Uh, my wife has learned to forbear with something in our lives. Um, when I we got married, I started sleeping with a fan every night. We had one of those giant box fans at first in our marriage. I had that blowing on me. How, anybody else cool like me and ha, has to have a fan blowing on you? Yes, it's. We need to have a fan club everywhere we go, right? Um, yes, that is me. I have to have that. Um, I, I like the, the feeling of the air. I like the sound of it. And I have now a smaller one that I can take with me wherever I go. I literally had this fan at the men and boys band, uh, camp out. 
just a couple weeks ago. I literally had a fan blowing on me at 30 degrees that night just because I had to have my fan. Well, my wife does not like fan. And one of the things that it bothered her about it is her hair uh, would kind of blow and tickle her forehead. I'm like, I do not, I cannot relate to that. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's not, it's not supposed to be funny. Why are you, okay, I'm going to try to forbear what you're doing right now and be gracious and not, and I'm going to, I'm going to be long suffering to all of you, but no, she had to put up with this and she's just learned how to cover her hair and face from my wind, my windy fan that I have. Okay, that's a silly example, but we need to forbear. And as believers, this is something we're to put on. Uh, next, we're to put on forgiveness. And again, we, we could take a long time to talk about all of these, but verse 13, if any man have a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Look, we've all been forgiven from the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Okay. Well, what right do I have then to hold a grudge against somebody else who sinned against me? Yeah, but they really hurt me. They scarred me for life. That may be true, but Jesus is our example here. He forgave us, and we did a whole lot worse. I mean, you count up the amount of sins that I've committed. Don't, don't actually start counting, because it'll take you forever. Look, put on forgiveness. That's what we need to replace with. And then lastly here, put on charity. We're to put on love. And verse number 14, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. We're, we're to put on love. Why? Because we are beloved in verse number 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. We're to love because we are loved. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And love is not just this ooey-gooey feeling that we have inside. It's not just an emotion. It's an action. It's not about what we feel. It's about what we do. And so we're to put this on. This is, this is the, these are the grace clothes that we are to replace the grave clothes with. So my, my question to you this morning is, um, number one, have you received new life? If not, today's the day to take care of that. And secondly, what, what are you wearing? If you're a believer, what are you wearing? I'm not talking about physical clothes here, but are, are, you are you wearing the grave clothes of the old man? Look, you're risen with Christ as a believer. It's time to remove those and replace them with the grace clothes of the new man. And look, it's, life goes a lot better when you're wearing the right clothing. Um, so what are you wearing as a believer? Is it time to maybe go change? Maybe remove and then replace? I would say that all of us probably have some an article of clothing here from the old man that probably needs, maybe it's on underneath somewhere and... and it's time to change that. It's time to change that. And then if you're here without Christ, today's the day, old-fashioned Sunday, to come to Jesus and be born again. Out with the old, in with the new. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful to be able to look into your word together this morning and do a little Bible study on this idea of 
which type of clothing we're wearing, grave clothes or grace clothes. But before we even worry about that, Lord, we first need to make sure that we have received new life, that we have received life that only comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 